Right at the Fork is supported by Portland Food and Drink.com, Portland's original restaurant review and news blog, presented by Food Dude, your source for everything you need to know in the Portland food and beverage world. Check in today at PortlandFoodandDrink.com and by Chew Dining Club. Chew is about connecting passionate chefs with passionate food lovers. The Chew mobile app provides a way for you to access a community of food lovers, chefs, and special events in our unique food community. Download the app today on iTunes or Google Play. I wanted to do the, the Hank Kingsley oh. intro. So uh, you're all a big part of the show. So the better you are, the better Court and I are. All right, this is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> all right, so here we go. There's a big sign over there. It There's, says applesauce. Oh, right. Oh, I'm sorry. Applause. Five. I, I, I'm going to have to get into that show. Hey, by the way, we haven't been checking the uh, Amazings. No, I, 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 none of them has stood out. So right. I think we're pretty... Are we recording right. now? Is this the podcast? Yeah, we're, we're, we're rolling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and go. All right. Well, I'm Chris Angeles. Yeah. I'm doing what you usually do, Court Johnson. Well, you, you asked to do the the little Hank, is it Kingsley? Hank Kingsley. Hank Kingsley yes. intro. And a little tribute to Gary Shandling. Who, yeah. There's no, there, there aren't enough tributes uh, you can do to right. honor that man. But, um, but Court Johnson, morning host on kink.fm. That's right. Awesome morning host, and um, so glad to have you with us. Yeah. Today, today our, our guest, uh, neither of us had met him, but we've heard about him. We've heard about him in the news. He's been uh, of note lately for a couple of things. Yes. You've, you had the chance to talk to him a couple times on the phone, but ne- yeah. neither of us had met him. But I, I'd, he- I'd always heard about him. Yeah, you hear a lot about Micah Camden. And then I, and I walked up to the lobby to find him, and I immediately saw this guy standing there. I'm like, it's got to be Micah. Well, everything I've heard. Plus, he's got all the tattoos. Yeah, well, to, that was, to, that that was out. part of it. And in the, the course of the interview that you're going to hear, you actually find out about how those tattoos have- uh, I had no idea. Crazy story about tattoos. Which, in Japan. Yeah, in, which kind of surprised both of us. Yeah. But uh, a very interesting guy, a very story, that which is straight. I started piecing things back together. We're close in age. He's turning 38. I am 38. We both grew up in Utah. There's a good chance, Chris- because Utah ain't that big. There's a big chance then, you're coming up with the next little big burger? Well, then, you know, this is Mike and I hung out and we didn't even realize it just because it's like wow, well, the, the places I, he grew up and where I was, it's just like, oh, man. But we never, I didn't get when he went from Gary, Indiana to Salt Lake well, City. We referenced East High School and we played East High School. Oh, so that's where East High School in uh, in in football a couple of times. Yeah, you know, there's some intersection there. So, Well, well Mike has been very controversial because he's been a big part of a lot of restaurants mm-hmm. and he's been a big success in a city where a lot of people define success differently yeah, and where a lot of people don't accomplish financial success. They accomplish uh, artistic uh, gratification and a little bit of and financial sustainability. Yeah. But, uh, but Micah and his, uh, his partner, Katie, have hit it out of the ballpark with uh, Little Big Burger mm-hmm. and now Blue Star Donuts. And he's got some other great things going. And as he tells us in the podcast... 
uh, at least one in the hopper before he's done. Yeah, and it sounds like they, they, this one might be like a big one. I don't know. And like, it's they, not going to be Portland-based. No. He's doing it elsewhere. So Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to find out what that is. Uh, he was very guarded about about what it was. Well, you can. Yeah, you said it'll be a few weeks, but I can understand. There is a point at which we like to think that we have such listenership, uh, which is growing. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, that it's not a place where you want to divulge something that is uh, held close to the vest. True, true, true. But, Go ahead. And and we asked him about his current lawsuit. Yeah. Um, or the current lawsuit that he's involved with, and he's off mic was very passionate about it, and. Um, and he indicates so a little bit on Mike, and uh, um, those are things that uh, there are certain things you can't discuss while you're in the middle of a lawsuit. But um, right. he's been in the news lately, and uh, a kind of nice position to be in, where when you have to settle for six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, that's okay because you made your money anyway. And I'm sure he's not—he wouldn't agree with that statement. But if you if you are in the position to settle for six hundred seventy-five thousand dollar lawsuit, sure, then, why not? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, but, if but it goes away, sure. But you'll know Micah from Yakuza. He'll tell you Yakuza Lounge, uh, DOC. He he played a part in the beginning of Beast, mm-hmm. and then uh, Little Big Burger. He also, boxer ramen, boxer ramen, boxer sushi, which is not a lot around any longer. As is um, Son of a Biscuit, uh, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, the guy doesn't. There's no bullshit. So. Um, Shoots from the hip, and uh, he does shoot. Yeah. So uh, I th- I hope everybody enjoys this as much as I did. There's some interviews I don't like when they end, and uh, this, this one, is one of them. Yeah, yeah. This one of them. This episode, by the way, Chris, is brought to you by the good chefs at Chew, the app, Chew Dining Club. Yeah, we've we have we talked about Chew yet? I don't know that we have. We did with Greg Denton when he was on. That's right, so we that did was the first time, and now we're talking a little bit about it now um and chew is really cool it uh provides some dining opportunities or perks so to speak at some of portland's best restaurants i'm uh, i'm all about perks when it comes to to things like this you know because like you know you've got you got airline miles that you can earn over time right this is kind of dining. stuff dining and for somebody like you chris who is out and about all the time uh, this I is perfect for you about I try to be picky now, a little more selective, and I would go to a lot of the restaurants on Chew, like Hamlet and Preem and Lardo and Grassa and St. Jack. Yeah. Uh, the list just keeps going on. And they're going to be adding more outside of the chef's table realm uh, as they go. And it was a brainchild of Kurt Huffman. Right. Who we talk about with Micah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the interview opens. We mentioned Kurt is mentioned by Micah. Yeah. But he doesn't say it's Kurt Huffman. So people should know it's Kurt Huffman that's referenced not only in the beginning of the interview, but, but later again on. midway. So when the word when the name Kurt comes up, that's Kurt Huffman. And we like Kurt. He was the first interview we had of two thousand sixteen. Go that's back right. in the archives. Really good interview. I'm I'm frenemies with Kurt, so I'll I'm sure I'll say something at some point. You have a few frenemies? Oh, every one of them. <laughs> That's the industry. So, how do you how do you swing from the uh, the friend part to the enemies? It's it's a, it's actually one of the best relationships you can have because you have respect and you just you you you. Everyone in this industry is so small and so convoluted and so incestuous that everybody has dirty laundry on everybody else. So, if everybody's holding nuclear codes, it's like there's a certain respect built, you know. Well, it's it, yeah. There's fear. Yeah. 
It's funny that you mentioned that in this political arena right now with the nuclear codes. So, yeah, and you're kind of not necessarily sharing space, but you're neighbors with... Uh, oh, with Kurt and I, that- I, I love Kurt. Honestly, I do. I, we have, you know, we're the we're two people who have opened up. Like I've opened up twenty three restaurants in ten years in this town. Wow! And it's just we have well, we have nothing to talk about. Though. <laughs> yeah, so. twenty three restaurants. There's not. A, there's no. There are no stories there. Yeah, but like Kurt and I met. You know. Way back when, and then it just kept, we kept running into each other, and it was like, who can up more, who can open up more restaurants? And did you ever talk about doing anything together? Yeah, we did. I actually, he's he laments not getting into Blue Star with me. Oh, really? Yeah, he has. A, I'm sure he has a couple and he of bit, laments. He he bit his tongue on Little Big Burger when he said it wouldn't work. Really? Yeah, he's like that rent in that Pearl District, and 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 I'm like, yeah, well, so he bit his tongue on that one, and then with Blue Star, he. I, I offered him ownership. I was like, let's do it together. And he's like, $3 donuts won't sell. Okay. So. I just turned down a $22 million offer for the company. So Did you really? Yeah. Wow. You, you turned it down? Did I hear that right? Yeah. So. You, you've been we, want, we want it. Well, $22 million doesn't look like a whole lot when Uncle Sam comes in. And right. It's, sure. Half of it. Yeah. And then you split the other half with your partner and then it doesn't. Well, yeah, but there are a lot of people in this town that would hear that and you know who were in food carts and they have they have aspirations to get where you've gotten in the food world who would hear that and think that's insane well it's you know i i'm not in a rush to offload the tiger by the tail yeah right. because you know Blue, little big burger the sell on that was great because it helped like really secure my life and secure my partner's life and secure some employees lives and stuff like that where i, I don't need to run out and and you know, hastily give it away again. So I don't. I don't need to give away. I don't need to give away the farm, the donut so farm. Are you still hungry? Hungry meaning hungry? No, I hungry for the next big thing. I am currently working on it, actually. Okay. So, do we? Does anybody know what that is? Uh, does Kurt has Kurt passed on it yet? Kurt hasn't passed on it. <laughs> Kurt hasn't passed on it. But I, I am playing this one close to the chest. I, to, I just got. Done. I was in Dallas mm-hmm. meeting with some big wigs, and apparently all the venture capital firms are on the East Coast or in Texas. So I was down there for five days. Dallas is actually an amazing market. I, I mean, people always give Austin the blowjob, but Dallas is, it's on the, it's just, the infrastructure is there, and there's this commonality between everybody that they, they, they know the scene. It's not, it's not disconnected like in some of the bigger metropolitans or economic hubs where, there's like certain people know about certain things. Everybody in Dallas, because it's so isolated, it's 350 miles from the nearest big city. There's no hills, no campgrounds, no rivers, no lakes where people eat and they work and they shop. They, they have nothing else to do, you know. And when you're dodging the sun four months out of the year because it's 120 degrees, you're literally running into businesses, you know, and... And there's money there to do. Oh my too. God, there's so much money there. It's ridiculous. And I asked one of the restaurant owners when I was down there, I was like, because a lot of the restaurants I went to, they were great. They had a great ethos. They had great products. They had great food. They had great energies, great vibe. And I'm like, why have I not heard about Dallas yet? Like, why does nobody talk about Dallas? And he said, it's because of the stigma of Texas. The only place that the liberal media is going to write about is Austin because they think of the rest of Texas as being this Christian conservative community. And it is. But they're not as backwards as they've been painted. And I'm like, fuck, I'll come to Dallas. I'll be the first one out here. And I mean, I look, I'm covered in. Did you see anybody with arms? Like oh, yours? no, nobody. Nobody was 
you know. Were they giving you the kind of the look at all, or did you get? Did well, you get... here's 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 a very funny thing because I'm single and I lit up my OKCupid okay profile. Now I don't I don't I don't keep my OKCupid okay profile live in Portland because everybody knows me by face, right? So I don't I just don't advertise, right? And but I went to Dallas and I wanted to see what the landscape looked like, just get a handle <laughs> on like who who is out there, who is young, who's dating, what does the scene look like? Sure. And in Portland, I have a eighty to ninety percent matchability with almost anybody in Portland because of my liberal leaning and because of my religious views or lack of religious views. And I, so I fit with a lot of people, but I was floating in the 40 to 50 percentile in Dallas because I was not Christian. Yeah. And I am because of my liberal leaning, I'm not a conservative. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I am like back of the bus here. Like this is just. So the algorithm really actually works? I thought it was just a lot of bullshit. Oh, but for shits and giggles, I went on and just, I was like, I went to to the back of the house and I'm like, you know, religious views, Christian, just change one button. Uh, And I changed my my leaning to uh, Republican. And I was hitting in the 95 percentile. (laughs) I was like, fuck. I I was like, I could be such a Judas right now. I was just in Austin and... um, Oh, the Super Bowl. I went to the W Hotel to watch the Super Bowl. I thought, there's a nice spot. And all the Dallas people were there. And, yep. the, and I literally heard them literally heard them just smacking Obama and Bernie oh, Sanders. Oh, it, it was hilarious. And, yeah. And, it was hilarious. And, but I, it was the only place in Austin you could hear that was the W Hotel where all the... Yeah. I, I, I went out. I spent five days there out every single morning, night, evening, late night. And I got a good feel from the people. But the thing is, is it doesn't matter what they're their leanings are. Maybe they just want a certain tax bracket like to be handled for them correctly. And, you know, I, as far as the Christian thing goes, what I can tell is everybody's living under their parents' shadow in Dallas. They want, you know, they were raised in those healthy, happy families where they have these, you know, you're going to do this and do this and do this. And I came from the broken home, the welfare mentality. So I had to create it. I had to jump out and get my own little world going in my head and coming up with my own identity. But in Dallas, they're living in their shadows because... It was, it was, they didn't have a problem with me, but they still chose to, they're like, okay, so instead of like, you're going to take a girl out on a date and it's like, what's the typical average, like three to four days and you get her in bed in Dallas, it would probably be like five to six. You know, wow, that's you got to jump pro- through it. You got to jump through, you got to jump through a few more hoops. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, it's good to know then. I guess a lot of people will you know, stay here and be happy with the three to four. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not even complaining about that. I, I, you know, chivalry's not dead in my mind. I'll, I have nine older sisters, so I, I know how to court. So, but in Dallas, I was just shocked because they, the media glazes over Dallas because of that one reason. Because it's not cool or hip to write about Dallas. Well, the Texas media probably thinks it is, but yeah. everyone else. So you mentioned growing up with a welfare mentality. Is that Indiana? Is that- yeah, yeah, that's it's rough. I come from, you know, like my grandparents raised me. I'm the product of a, you know one night stand in Los Angeles and uh, grandma and grandpa jumped in their mom and dad I buried them both um, but yeah I was I was raised a poor black child I was raised in a Pentecostal church and wow. I moved from like the blackest town in America which is Gary Indiana it's not Detroit you know people are like oh Detroit's so downtrodden I'm like drive 67 miles south I've done it right on the water on the, on the yeah. lake there right yeah it- go look at Gary that's like third world country slums. So my son, when he was 13, we did this cross country trip. And that's one of the things that landed us in Portland. But anytime he wants to refer to anything downtrodden after doing that, just from the 
15 minute visual uh-huh. he refers to Gary and Gary it was, it was awful I mean I was it was I was in the one percent there because it was just like I was you know because you were white probably I was white and it, like I said it was like that Steve Martin movie The Jerk I'm like I am if I ever write an autobiography my first line is going to be I was raised a poor black child but then we went from that to Utah which was the whitest community so I had to like that's where this guy so that's where I, I come from <laughs> yeah so I went I went from there to like Salt Lake City, Utah, and then from Salt Lake City, Utah, to the even wider community of Nephi, Utah, mm, which hey. is this little cowboy town. Yep. I know Nephi. And from Nephi to Moroni, and then Moroni back up to Salt Lake before I was like, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> and what, what got you to Portland? Uh, I, I was chased, that next? Or no, 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 Portland's not next. I, I became a gypsy after that. I was a makeup artist. I was bouncing around doing makeup and then also doing like odd bartending jobs. But I moved to Maui after a heartbreak from San Francisco. And I was there for about a year. I was living on the beach. I was a beach bum. Um, and I met a girl. And we started doing like a long distance relationship thing with here. And then I moved here for her. Um, oh, so it was a woman that brought you here. It, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the news and the food. No, there scene. was. There was. It was something I was looking at because when I was in, when I was in Maui, I was reevaluating what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out of the makeup industry. I'd always wanted to be a chef because. And how old were you then? I'm I sorry. I was 23. Okay. And just for, how old are you now? I'm turning 38 in July. Oh, 38's a good age. So, I but I was, I was 23, 24, 23, 24 in Maui, and I wanted to be a chef. I, I wanted to be one. Um, and it wasn't because I have some romanticized biography. I was raised on spaghetti and welfare cheddar. Like, there was just, you know, it was my friends going to my friend's house. Like, there was, like, ethnic people, and they had, like, North African food, like, is, you know, very Egyptian and Indian and it was just so good and I was like oh my god food is so good so anytime we could escape welfare cheddar you know it was like I just loved it um, never heard the term welfare cheddar oh if you've if you've ever see I grew up no oh, you don't you once you taste it you never up. forget it yeah, yeah, you, yeah it's like I grew up in the opposite of Gary Indiana yeah. You know, and which is unfortunate and, and fortunate. It, they, they both have their they both have their ups and downs like if I didn't I look at it like this because I dated Naomi Pomeroy for like four years and she was raised in a very good environment. Um, you know, every, every household has their, their trauma, but she knows food back to front. Like, doesn't matter what anybody says, she knows food. It just is, is inherently Well, it's in obvious. Her. Yeah, you can't doubt. Who would doubt that? Yeah. Um, I was not. I got exposed to good food at, when I got into the makeup industry, and I started getting charted around and flown around to, like, Paris to do Paris Fashion Week. And I'm looking for McDonald's, but all these people are like charting me off to these nice restaurants and I'm tasting real food for the first time. I'm tasting what chicken should taste like or what vegetables should taste like. And I'm just, my mind is blowing up. And I was like, wow, that is, that is amazing. And, and I was just, I literally became addicted to food at that point. But I didn't have a, a romance. My mom didn't know how to cook shit. I love my mom to death, but nobody in my family could cook. We opened up, our can opener was our only utensil. It was like opening stuff up, dumping it out, and throwing it in the microwave, and that was dinner for like 10 people. Hmm. You know, when you're like, you, when you have three microwaves in your house growing up, like consecutively to like cook food so it all comes out at the same time, you know something's really <laughs> well, fucking Well, at least wrong. they had it planned. <laughs> at least there was some coordination going on. But, you know, and I came here, and to be honest with you, it's like, I, there was an interview that was done um, on me from... I think it was the Oregonian it was talking about, it was like, you know, after I had had some success with Yakuza and then I opened up Beast and then I opened up DOC, 
the interview was like, they asked questions like, so what's been your biggest inspiration? Who do you chart your biggest inspiration to teach you, you know, to tell you how to cook? And I was like, to be honest with you, it was Portland. Portland taught me how to cook because I was calling everybody when I opened up Yakuza. You know, I- and How many years ago was that? Oh, fuck, Yakuza was 11 and a half to 12 years ago. I opened okay. up Beast seven months later and DOC a year later after. Oh, I didn't know you opened up. So that, so that was obviously when you had your relationship with Naomi. Yeah, she had just closed Clark Lewis and Gotham and Ripe and everything and her world just collapsed. And I had just opened up Yakuza, so she actually came and worked for me at Yakuza for a while. Wow. And then when she was looking for jobs, you know, I was I was already building out Beast, and I was interviewing chefs. I interviewed Tommy Hebbets, and I interviewed a bunch of other people to open up this thing. And then I had become intimately aware of all of her concepts, and the only concept that was that was that made money or that made any kind of sense whatsoever was Family Supper. Clark Lewis never made a penny in its history, and that's weird because that restaurant was packed. 24-7. And it was by the best chef I've ever eaten food from, which is Morgan Brownlow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Heard that from a lot of chefs. He is hands down. I mean, he Shit. may be bipolar and crazy as fuck, but he <laughs> he's unemployable, but he is the best chef. And I've eaten it. I've got- Is he around? 40, yeah, he's still around. I've got 40 plus Michelin stars under my belt now from traveling around and eating. Mm-hmm. I'd put him in front of anybody. I, wow. would, I mm. would not be afraid to, st- not, uh-huh. not I, like a molecular gastronomy sense. I wouldn't stick him up against A. Chats or, or Daniel Ham. But if it came to like any of the big boys in Paris, fuck, he, he would could, just annihilate him. Anybody else in this town you think could do that? Um, Rucker. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's an amazing chef. Naomi, obviously. She's got a more focused palate. You know, she, she keeps everything down to the farm. She doesn't really jump out that much. But Rucker's fearless. He doesn't mm-hmm. do, he doesn't, he, he just goes crazy with his menu but those are those are the two that I and also like you, you Scott Dolich forever, I go on like, forever like Scott Dolich doesn't get near the attention he deserves because he does such a good job I think so too but he's not really in the kitchen any longer that's maybe right, why he's right. getting less attention well even when he was even when he was slaving away in the kitchen he wasn't getting it um, but yeah they are I'd say Rucker Pomeroy and actually I, I employed one of the best chefs I've ever met um, which was Greg at DOC. When I opened up DOC, um, and he went on, he went, on, he worked for me for a year, and then went off to open up June. Oh yeah, Greg, Greg Perot, amazing fucking chef. Yeah, he was and so he also, good. Not only that, he met, built the most beautiful rest. That was a beautiful little spot. Yeah, it still is, but it's not his anymore. But he, he was, he had that. He suffered from that same thing Morgan Brownlow did, where he just had this idealization of like what, because they both were reared in Northern California. Brownlow was at Stars and and Rubicon and all those other ones. And then he was reared at the Martini House in Napa. So they both had this like seriously heavy weight on their shoulders of like crazy chefs hoarding over them. And they brought that up here and realized, yeah, that doesn't happen. He didn't. Yeah. And Greg never struck me as crazy. He was very shy. We uh, did an event with him and he didn't want to really talk to people. Yeah, and, there was some quiet rage there, too. Yeah. It was like a calm chaos always formulating in his mind. So you, those two restaurants, Yakuza and... DOC. Yeah. For when I first started to discover this food scene, hands down, two of my favorite restaurants. That, Yakuza was all me. That was that was definitely like my the food there was my expression because I came from Hawaii and the one thing this town did not have was good sushi. Like mm-hmm. at all. I mean I'll give Hiroshi his he stuck it out and he was the old cliche, you know, Japanese sushi chef, but he wasn't getting good fish. So living in Maui I was like, I know where to get good fish and I know what to do with it. I mean, the ketchup company that I own that's that's really taken off right now was just everybody in, in Hawaii puts sriracha in their ketchup. 
So that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. What's the ketchup company? Camden's Ketchup. Camden's it's, Ketchup. It's what I serve at a Little Big, but that is starting to take off. I I met with um, John George in New York, and he's going to put it in his restaurants. Oh, fantastic! Well, you got it going. So you have it going. So when was the first moment? And by the way, you're you're indicating we could go in sixty three different directions. Yeah, it's here. a butter- so, conversations are a butterfly. Yeah, so it's it's we go a lot of places, but I really want to. Uh, talk a little bit about the first moment you realized, shit, I'm really going to make it big time. I'm not, you know, I'm far from Gary, Indiana. I'm going to make some cash. And I guess the question before that is, did you set out to do that or did you no. start with the way no, most I, people I, do? It was just I, a passion was, for cooking and see where it goes. No, it wasn't even a passion for cooking. I have a 10th grade education. I was limited. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of options. To do, you know, I walked out of I walked out of my tenth grade class, gave him the finger. I have no GED, no secondary education. I'm a ex felon. You know, I spent nine months in prison. What so was the, what did you? What, I thought what? I was smarter in the system when I was younger, and I did like stupid fraud shit. Yeah, you know, I've I've owned up to it. I'm a success story. I used to run from that. I used to tell people, you know, that I. Well, now you can. Yeah. No one can. No right. one can say he's still committing fraud because you don't need to. Right. Um. But I. I made a mistake. That's 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 the welfare mentality I'm talking about. When you're raised in that system, you become a part of that system, and it's hard to break out of it. And I literally had to cut everybody off, including my family, to just escape from it to see what else the world had to offer because I believed that I was bigger than my circumstance. And if it was up to my dad, I'd be a, a heating and air conditioning technician and still a part of a church that is just an awful church to be a part of. Um, were, so you, I, were you... Did you buy into it at a young age? No, 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 I didn't. All my I sisters mean, did. I'm only saying that because you said you're not, you know, you're not religious or Christian now. I'm not making no. a judgment call. No, not at all. I I have a chapter in a book that I'm writing, and it's called "I Have Become My Father's." Now, I like I said, I'm the product of a one night stand. I sought my real dad out when I was about 22, and I found him. You know, he was very wealthy. Very, he was just a typical. When I guess my mom met him, he was a typical playboy Iranian over here for college. But he actually made it. He. He owns a bunch of stuff in California, and and I'd never met him, but I basically had wanted to do the same things he had done prior to meeting him. I was like, I wanted to be a chef, and I wanted to get into restaurants, and I, I just knew there was something else out there. And I'm assuming that, you know, I've become my father's is like that story of nature versus nurture, because I am very much my dad. That welfare mentality, I have it, the good and the bad. I'm a hard worker. I've worked my whole life. Um, I jump in and figure shit out on my own, um, but I also... I was constantly working and running from this fear of, of poverty. Like my drive, what kept me opening up restaurants was I was afraid they were going to fail. Um, so that's what I was doing. I wasn't running at them thinking, okay, like with any specific strategy in mind. It was just like, ah, I've got to keep working. If you know, I'd work myself out of a job. I'd open up Yakuza and develop everything, and then I didn't have a job. And then I'd open up Beast, didn't have a job. What happened to Yakuza? How did that go away? I sold all my investments in Yakuza, Beast, and DOC a month after I opened Little Big Burger. So you're like, when did you realize? Th- that was the biggest writing on the wall was when the lines didn't end at the first Little Big Burger. And when we opened up the doors of Little Big Burger, we had $2,200 in the bank. And then a month later, we had 100000 in the bank. And I just realized I had a tiger by the tail. And I called up. I shut Fats down. And I was like, you guys can buy me out. Just I'm like, I've got to focus on this. And... That's when I was like, okay, people are going to see these lines. Did you, when did you call Kurt to say, hey, just so you know? When I was, no, I was, con- 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 no, he saw it. Kurt came <laughs> in and saw it. He would drive down the street. He's like, oh, man. He drove down the street and he, he, he ate crow real quick. I mean, he admitted to it. Like, to me, I remember we were sitting at the, we were sitting at Little Big Burger and he's just like, congratulations. 
I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's like I didn't think. It was well, funny. he's a humble man. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that, that's fascinating to me how that how little Big Burger. So you you put a bet on it, but you didn't know. Everybody said it wasn't going to work because yeah. I was the first of the of the private sector chefs to be like, okay, because it was right around when the economy collapsed. People weren't coming over to Yakuza anymore to spend X amount of money, and I took that Yakuza burger, which was famous, you know, and. I distilled it down into the thing, and I, I basically ripped off In-N-Out with like two or three menu items and said, this is what I'm going to do here. Bring it closer to the people on the west side because they're not traveling you know, to get nev- to eat anymore. I never put two and two together. I didn't realize that Yakuza Burger was yours. I yeah. just realized that Yakuza Burger was great, yeah, but I never – oh, good for you. So, now, that make, now, okay, that, that gives us a little background on yeah. Little Big Burger too, which, yeah. by the way, I think when I first heard it, I thought – I don't know about that, but when you really think about Everybody's it, everywhere it. I go, I'm like, I don't want a whole burger. I don't feel like a whole burger. Yeah. It's too much. So that's the perfect size, and it's bigger than a slider. It's what, we, five bites, something? Yep. We started We started that concept for $72,000. Five years later, we sold it for $6.3 million. So that was a pretty good bet. And, and then, you, But you've got a little stumbling block along the way. Right, we, we had successes and stumbling blocks. No, but it, now you do, even after the sale. So you yeah. have that lawsuit. Yeah. I, I, there's a part of me because I want so badly, so badly to just unleash what I know about this everything. You got to realize, like, yeah, I'll give you what you guys already know. We sell it for six hundred seventy-five thousand. We're being sued for fourteen million. So, okay. So what does that, that say about the case? Yes. All right. And it's done. It's done. settled. It's done. Settled. settled. Didn't affect the stock price. Nothing. Like it's it's fine. I got that off. I so, made some mistakes. So I'm going to assume that was. You're sitting down with your attorney. You don't have to say my anything. My attorney is in the, this building is in the shadow of my attorneys, which is Stoll Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at me from like the 27th floor of the building right now saying, please to God, don't say anything. All right. So have you said, we don't want you to say too much, but I'm guessing it came down to the risk of six, would you say 16 million, 17 million? 14. 14 million versus just this is. All the, we did was we basically just paid what it would have cost to take us to court to shut them down. Right. So. Okay. Well, and it's not the first time I got, I've been sued. I've been sued before. It's when you get, when you get you, bigger, you get a bigger bullseye painted on your back. And do you get, do you have uh, a larger tolerance? I mean, yeah. I, I'm a oh, small first, guy, small business guy, minor little things happen to me and I'm nervous for days. Oh, I, the first, the first lawsuit that I had was like literally minutes after we opened up a little big burger and one of my investors in fats realized, you know, he's like, cause I give him the option to, I give him the option to invest in a little big burger. And he got so mad. He felt like I'd shut him. So he tried to sue us for like 4 million. I settled for 25,000. I mean, come on. It's just like my, when your lawyers are telling and he, everybody knew he was in the wrong, but when your lawyers are telling you, this is the game you play when you start making the money you do, mm-hmm. people will sue you for everything. And we've, we've been, we've had lawsuits come up and it's just like, at this point, I have insurance against me now because of this. You know, and it's expensive. So it's, it's very expensive. It's basically pay- it's, it's a price to play. It's, it's like paying a play. settlement every year, every month, or every year, every whatever, year. however often you pay it. You got to pay the settlement. Yeah. So, but that's when I knew that there was a, that the game had changed for me, and it was because I felt like you know Willy Wonka in the Charlie. I mean, I felt like Charlie and the Willy Wonka was I found the golden ticket, and the golden ticket was a template, and that template was. You know, I learned from my mistakes. Well, I made tons of mistakes at Yakuza, and I tried to fix them on Beast, and then I made mistakes at Beast, and then I tried to fix them at DOC, and then I'm, I'm constantly trial by fire learning how to do what I do. With the 10th grade education, you have to teach yourself. And I mean, they even say that like an entrepreneur's education is largely two hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 before he actually strikes gold. And that's when I put it, it was about that, it was about a half million bucks before I finally found something that actually works. 
and now it's just a stamp out. Like Blue Star is a powerhouse. Ramen does amazing. Little Big Burger does great, and it all they all follow that same template. It's the same like setup of employees, management structures, pay scales, all that, and growth sket and growth schedules, and it works. I mean, I just opened up my second store in Tokyo in a year, and the line was six city blocks long, which was great. And also, we had a court. We had a podcast here with Sarah and and uh, Jesse. Yeah, um, talking about how crazy Tokyo or Japan is for Portland. That yeah. that doesn't hurt. Yeah, I would it's imagine. they they well we're the we're like we got some like trade agreement with them. <laughs> well, or an unofficial one. Yeah, you that, know, so it's great. no politician had anything to we're, do. We're with. looking at we're looking at the people that licensed and partnered with us in Tokyo. They originally wanted three and five years the success of it. They want twenty more. So like Katie, my partner is she's the one that handles most of all that stuff. She's negotiating with right now to open up twenty more locations in Tokyo. And you know what? Funny thing is, is it's not called Blue Star in Tokyo. It's called Camden's. It's my actual last name plastered wow. across all these buildings, which is great. The irony is they don't really accept me over there because of the tattoos. So that's taboo. They're, they haven't bought. They haven't gotten there yet. No, I, I thought the first time I went over because I get off the plane and there's like camera crews in my face saying, "Oh, you're here. You're opening up. You're going to be a celebrity." And then I check into. <laughs> I check into the you know the Grand Hyatt and I'm gonna have my lost in translation moment like Bill Murray did, paying nine hundred dollars a night to stay in this hotel. I can't use the pool. I can't eat at three of the five restaurants this? in there because, because of, of this. ink. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It's it just was, not. That's just not allowed. Not allowed. And it's. How not, did you find out it wasn't allowed? Oh no! They come up to you and they very politely say, "Oh, sorry, sir, no tattoos." And I I got pulled out of like Starbucks lines. Holy shit! Sorry, sir, no tattoos. And I'm running around town trying to find a place to work out, you know, because I can't work out in the gym. They're like, oh, there's a Gold's Gym down the road. So I go to the Gold's Gym, standing in line. Sorry, sir, no tattoos. I, it was, I felt like pretty woman. Wow. I had all of this money running around the nicest retail areas of Tokyo and nobody would take my money. And it was just like, fuck. Well, I, I didn't, I'd never heard that. I didn't know that. No, it's, so you, it's such so you a didn't concern. Just go out, didn't you? No, it's, I, I'm, I'm. Oh, you down. got them on your hands, man. You I'm, can't. You can I'm down gloves. to the fingertips. Wow. I'm not going to. And get that. you like a bodysuit. I'm not driving Miss Daisy anywhere. What so does I'm not that say? Gloves. Self-made. Self-made. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we need a picture of that before you go. But that is, uh, I have to say, listening to your story, it's great that you're proud of what you've done. Yeah. I was ashamed it. of it for a while. And then when I realized, like, my therapist, who's. I've been seeing for seven-ish years. He looks at me and he goes, you're, because st- I. Does he have anything you're not allowed to say? No, 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 he, he's fine. He, <laughs> he thinks this is good. But for the longest time, I, I fabricated my past. I ran from it. I, I didn't have nine older sisters. I didn't have a welfare mentality. I was college educated. You know, it's like, that's what I, that's what I thought I had to live in. That's, I thought, I thought that's what I had to be. And that's part of that whole fraud thing you were talking about. Just, yeah. you, you fabricate everything. Yeah, you just fabricate this this life, this lie, and you you lose family members and stuff like that. And so when you're dating somebody and all of a sudden a sister pops up, it's like, where'd this girl come from? You know, and it's like, the reality is, is my therapist sat me down and, and you know, we got through it and found out that I just had serious shame about where I came from and the, what I had done. And he straight up looked me in the face and he's like, you know, your story reads better than the one that you fabricated. He's like, it actually reads better. He's like, you're the ultimate anti-hero. Mm-hmm. And so I, was, I had I came clean with the people in my life, and I lost some friends, and I lost some relationships, and I gained some, and you know, and now it's just me, and me is not perfect. I'm imperfect. And I would imagine that you've got a little 
little baggage in Portland being a success. It's like if people are successful, now that's not what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to stay organic and just serve great. It's it's fodder for the few. I mean, honestly, the people that are going to come out and hate you for being successful are, they have issues in their own life. You know, I don't, I don't have a problem with like someone asked me, I was doing an interview for Vice Magazine and they're like, oh, you know, it seems like there's a little bit of a slack for you selling your company. I'm like, yeah, I, I cried all the way to the bank. But you don't, but it doesn't happen a lot. No, it doesn't. Right? So it doesn't, you have all these people in the food business here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them would just, you know, they pro- some of them wouldn't admit Kurt, to it. Kurt said it right away. Kurt said it. He, in printed paper, he's like, there was a big business journal, like six page article on Katie and I, and they interviewed Kurt because he's the other, he's the other head honch in town with opening restaurants. And he's like, he's like, I've, I've had my own issues with Micah. And he's like, to be honest with you, he goes, you know, people may say something, but there's nobody that wouldn't trade shoes with him right now, including himself. Every single food cart out there would die to get six, end up with $6 million for whatever they're doing. And now you're passing up a lot of triple that or quadruple that. And it's because Katie, Katie's, she, you know, my partner is definitely the better half of everything I've done. She was my wife for a while. We ended up getting divorced. Don't ever work with someone 16 hours a day. You'll have nothing to talk about when you come home. Um, but she she has the foresight. She's like, no, we can do this. We can take this larger. We can do this ourselves. Um, we can grow this to a bigger check. We can, you know, we can have something like this. And I was like, okay, I'm along for the ride. Just tell me what I have to do, you know. And so the relationship's better now that you're, uh, uh, you're yeah, not I married. Her, I went to her wedding. I just I just went to her wedding in September. I watched her marry some other guy. How was that? It was hard as fuck. I did. I seriously <laughs> thought that I was going to stroll and we're friends. I th- we hang out all the time. We work together all the time. I thought I was going to stroll in, say a cheeky little speech, and, you know, take a couple bridesmaids home. I watched her walk down the aisle and get married, and I did a French exit. I walked out of that thing afterwards, got in my car, drove home, packed a bag, drove to the airport, flew to New York, and came home three weeks later. It was hard as hell. Uh, and you didn't think that going in? No, nope. I, I went in with the... I, was, I think that was probably the cockiest I've ever been in my life because I looked great. I was like, I'm going to dress better than the groom. I'm friends with the groom. There was going to be a lot of hot bridesmaids there. I had a speech like, because, you know, she's going into her third marriage. I, that was on my, that was my first. I'm like, third time's a charm or three strikes and you're out. I was going to get some laughs. Oh, it fucking killed. It just killed. So I don't know how to ask this question, um, but it must be, you obviously like the women. Right. So it must be kind of fun to be you, 38. I mean, depending on who you are, who one is, but 38, good looking guy. You're confident, which is what my understanding is the women like. And you've you've success. You've been a great success in a city where people, you know, your food. I've said this for a long time. Our chefs and our food, the people in the food world are our celebrities. All we've got are the blazers. I will say the Timbers are in town now, but I don't think there are any personalities there that people yeah. gravitate towards. There's not. So you guys are it. And so I would imagine it's kind of fun for you. How do you how do you navigate it? I thought it was fun, you know, when I was younger and, and every other week you'd see my name in the Willamette Week or something like that when I was actually in the weeds cooking and doing stuff. And I, I, I just I, saw your name in the Willamette Week for something else. Yeah, like I, too, I love, I love. Some, some woman was trying to get back at you. Somehow. Oh yeah. Oh God, she was an ex. She she went to town on me. Um, but it's not. You know, when you work in this industry and you are married to this industry, the relationships come second. You can ask anyone. 
you know they they come second and you don't learn the skills that are required to have a healthy happy relationship because you have to sacrifice to give that but you're so afraid of failure in this industry because it's, this is oftentimes all people have even the food carts is all they have so they're gonna they're gonna and they have flip. to live and breathe that they have they, to live and breathe in it and it's get hard week, right and they don't get weekends they, right. they don't and, get and, any and, time and they also they, you go through relationship after relationship where you end up developing bad habits within a relationship that could be better if you had some kind of balance and it's only until recently when I had to stop working as much as I was doing and I hired people to do the jobs that could do jobs better than me where I realized I don't know how to fucking date like I don't know how to put this much time into a relationship and they freak out and you just start making huge mistakes and the next thing you know they're fucking slandering your name in the paper because they're pissed at you it's not as easy as you think it is I spent I moved here I'm a single guy I know it's I moved here I moved here 12 years ago I've opened 23 restaurants and I, I never thought I was going to be 38 and single I, I don't want to be fucking single. You know that that is hell. Well, wait a minute. Have you ever given thought to what it might like be like if you if you came to grips with it and and loved yourself and didn't oh, have yes. a my relationship? My therapist tries to work on this all the time. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to help you too. So yeah, he's like, he's come like, in any time. Like, we got a couch. See, it, it, a little it, couch it, in it, here. It comes down to that welfare mentality again. Like this is this is the part of my dad that I'm trying to escape. So I've got nine older sisters, and they always look for a man to validate themselves. So that's my only example. I didn't have a strong male in my life. My dad was just a hardworking guy. He worked until he until I buried him. Right. You know? well, I just I just believe that you don't have to have someone to validate you. Yeah, and and my therapist believes the same thing. But I, yeah. you know, You've, I I watched too many. Di- no, I is watched the, two. No, fuck no. I'm getting old. My testosterone's dropping. Oh, you're 38, man. Just hold on. Um, it's my. <laughs> and I don't I, mean that literally. I, I watched too many Disney movies growing up. You know, I have this well, idealized what is supposed to look like as far as relationships. I, I think it takes a while. So when I got divorced after an 18-year relationship, I thought I was going to be in one two or three months later, uh-huh. okay? I've had some ins and outs along the way. That was 18 years ago. Yeah. And I've kind of learned, you know, a lot of married people who are talking the way you think that, oh, you'll find somebody, so, like, that's the default and it's got to be for you to be happy. You don't necessarily, you can find happiness in other ways, I think, yeah. than, than the drama. So I have a question for you. Yeah. It must be interesting. Does Katie give you any advice with she women, does. with does. dating and women? And she does. And she having actually, been married she, to you and, and knowing that your relationships can affect your businesses too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Katie, she's, she's definitely the rock that I have in my corner. You know, like I said, you get divorced and you can still maintain the, the level of trust that we have and actually have a better relationship afterwards. You know, we we just spent a week and a half in Tokyo, and that's when that thing came out in the paper. It was when shit went awry when I was away from home. I wasn't tending my sheep, and, you know, shit happened. And I'm in Tokyo. Things are blowing up. I'm getting called. How'd you hear about it? Oh, I had a friend call me. <laughs> and He's like, it was a call a link. or a text? He sent me a text. He's like, click the link. And it, was, it wasn't Nick Zukin, was it? No, no. Nick was defending you on this. I, I love Nick. Yeah, he's a great guy. Nick's great. And... See, Nick is from Utah as well. And I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a Mormon. He's Look from Utah. Look at all these U- Utahns. Is that U- what you Utahns? Yeah, no, Utahns. you got it. You got it. And and he, you know, he was he was a mystery to me because he's followed my career for twelve years. I was 24, 25 years old when he was first like hitting at me, and then it just it finally came out who he was, and I was able to pick it out, and then it just became like a he speaks his mind, he puts his foot in his mouth. And he has to answer for it sometimes. And I am literally the same way. And I think we have that same kind of respect for each other. I fucking love his restaurant. Yeah. But 
he comes out and he loved Little Big Burger. He didn't care for the Yakuza Burger. You know what I mean? And I'm fine with that. I'm like, how could you not agree with everybody else? He's like, because I got my own fucking opinions. Right. And I think food criticism is so strange because everybody's palate is different. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I think it's really tough for someone to criticize any, unless it's just god awful and everybody agrees, but any nuances of people's cooking, I just think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tough. Um, so, um, do you want people to like you? I, that's not, I don't care if people like me. I, I like myself to the point where I, as far as friends are concerned, I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. You know, I don't, I can't please everyone. There's just no way that's going to happen. And there's, you know, the hardest thing for people, honestly, is, is when you find success is to find people that will be happy for you. Because I've found this out with some of very close friends of mine and family members, even when, you know, you cash that check and it's just like, it changes, you know, and the people that I want to like me, I'm going to put forth the effort. You know, love is a verb. It's not a noun. You, you actually, and, and, and it applies to any of its cousins, being liked, you know, earning trust and respect. It's a fucking verb. It's not a noun. It's, you, you have to put effort into something that you're going to be able to keep or to have that's tangible. And I can't, I don't, I don't I'm so busy with my own self. I'm not going to go out there and try to defend my honor. I have other people that will jump on a sword for me and I have friends that will stab me with a sword. So, and you know who those are. Do you stay away from them now? No, not at all. I'm not afraid of... But you don't even know who all those people are. They're I, probably people with private resentment that you don't know. Yeah, I'm smart enough. I can pick up on it. Okay. That's the view. You can sniff it out. Unfortunately, you probably had some practice at that. But it hasn't been long. I mean, Little Big Burger, how old is Little... Six years now. Okay. Soon will be six years. But it was probably, yeah, it was five years ago that people were starting to look at that as, well. Wow, that's something, because you're opening more than one. Oh, yeah. You know, and, one was like, okay, cool. That's cute. Two, they're like, ah, uh, when I, they started seeing him on every corner in every district of Portland, they're like, what the fuck? Will this guy just go away? And I'm like, no, because you're not the one that's putting food in my kid's plate. You know what I mean? Fuck you. So there's, I, there's a whole bunch of other people that will. I was trying to think on the way over here. So you've done burgers, you got donuts, fried chicken didn't necessarily fried, work. Fried chicken didn't work, but it, it, it didn't not work either. I love that fried chicken, by the way. No, thank you. Great. I'm sorry it didn't no, work. No, what I did was I had to focus. I looked at it and I was like, okay, this is the trajectory of this restaurant. It doesn't nearly warrant the amount of effort it takes to run something that has that many moving parts. Mm -hmm. When I have Blue Star that I have to fly all across the globe to like figure out how I'm going to expand that. So I just, you know, you win some, you lose some. And that is true. I, I found that out. You know, the the two big, like even when I closed Boxer Sushi, people cried. Like Naomi hates my guts. She was in and that restaurant Eric, every single week. Eric Van Clay was on this podcast, and when I said, what's your favorite place? Boxer Sushi, hands down. Yeah, no, every, the next week it closed. I was Every <laughs> chef, every chef in this town unanimously supported that restaurant. Half of those chefs hate me, and they just like, they just- You didn't, couldn't keep it open for them. I, I, no, it's not that I couldn't. My chef had just had a baby, and he wanted to move to Bend because his mom lives in Bend, and he wanted the help doing and it. And he's so, the only one that could do it? No, he came to me. He came to me and he, go, and he was in tears. And he's like, I need to move back. Because I built this restaurant around him. And he's like, I need to move back to Bend because I need my mom's help. And I was like, okay. And then I, we talked about it. And he goes, he goes, I can train. He's like, all these people are great. And I was like, no. I was like, I built this restaurant for you. It's not, I'm, I'm this. And I, I could have kept it open. I, he had sous chefs that were great. I took a $200,000 loss, not to, not because they didn't want to deal with it. It was because 
I didn't want it to go downhill. When a chef leaves, there's a changing of the guards and it goes down. And he was that chef. That chef was not someone walking around filling out paperwork. He went and picked up the fashion. He did it. And he was over his people. And he put his touch on it to the point where people that loathe me ate there religiously week after week after week. And I wasn't, I was going to retire at the top. I was going to walk out with the crown and be like, fuck it. I'm not going to be Kobe Bryant. I'm not going to go out on this like horrible tour. So I did. And I took a $200,000 hit. Yeah. And I closed it. And we announced we were going to close it. And like there was just people were calling left and right. I think chefs They're ate probably there like offering four to nights. Do it. Yeah. yeah. They ate there four nights a week. And then the night it was going to close, they just had like permanent seats. Um, so you didn't have confidence in any of the Sioux enough to think. Because we're right after you, we're recording, a, uh, and it may air before this, or stream before this, with uh, Justin Woodward. So I'm sure a lot of people thought with Castagna, when yeah. Matt left, what's going to happen with Castagna? Well, he. He's done very well. Yeah. So that's a different beast. You know, there, there's a level of with the cook, with the sushi world, there's a touch. It's all in that touch. It's not in the recipe. It's not in the measurement of maltodextrin versus this versus this. It's the touch. And it's a repetitious touch. And it's the kind of touch that would drive any other chef other than a sushi chef fucking bonkers. Chefs don't like to do the same thing repetition over repetition. Sushi is about the same thing for 80 fucking years. And and if you watch your drink yeah. sushi, you just see there's a guy who was the intern after two and a half years couldn't do the, uh, couldn't. Right. Do, he, and he didn't with, make with, it. with another chef, they get to change their menus with the seasons. They're like, oh, this is the trend. Sushi doesn't have a trend. It doesn't change. Good sushi joints, they do the same thing over and over and over. And I would never be able to put someone else. I found a true sushi chef in a Jewish kid from Utah. You know, that I'd known, he went to Judge High School. I went to East. And how did you learn that? How, what did you see? Just, it was there from the beginning. Like I said, it's like that intuition of like meeting people and sizing was them up. Was this at Yakuza? Yeah. Okay. He, was my, he was my opening chef at Yakuza. I invented the burger because he ended up moving. He, he met a girl. So you, you know. had to find something else at Yakuza? So I was like, shit, he's leaving. So I dropped half the sushi off, took a huge hit, started to do more. I did the burger and I started to do more pub food. And then it picked back up and created what Yakuza is today. It doesn't rely on a bunch of sushi. It relies on just some inventive dishes. But then he came to me again. He's like, I want to try this again. Will you do this? And he's like, I know I failed you the first time. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll do this. Let's do this. You were the best sushi chef I've ever been with. So you think you may come back to Portland? And by the way, what's his name? I don't know. If Ian Skumsky. Ian Skumsky. Okay. Yeah, he went to Judge High School in Utah, went to East, literally like right across from the street from each other. Is he coming back? I don't know. If he does, I'll probably be retired at that point, but. When know. do you want to retire? Uh, next year. 39. Before 40, so. And then what are you going to do? Um, right. I, I, I need to take, it's too late. It's not the moment. I need to take a picture of your face when you said that. Because <laughs> it it's more of a question, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> question was, look. It was a great Maybe. face. You know, do something that, that, that will allow me to go and start to develop other aspects of me as a person. That so you're going to be done with food after the Dallas visit. I, I'm trying to guess, so I just want to go back there. So we've done fried chicken, donuts, did the burger, we got hot dogs. Japanese, Italian, British. Yeah. So, boxer ramen. I got to bring up boxer ramen because, like, I have a 10-year-old daughter who is a fan of ramen, and then I introduced her to boxer ramen about a year ago, and, like, that's 
all she wants to eat, like nonstop. It's just it, it blew her mind yeah. that ramen could be more than, you know, the what ramen we were giving her at home. Yeah. Well, or the ramen I had in college. Right. That's, where I grew that's, up with that's the ramen but, I'm talking about. So I'm just trying to guess. Dallas, is there like barbecue there or Tex-Mex, something I'm, no, in that, that not, area? That's, it's too much. I, I'm, I'm I know you're not going to do it. I'm just trying. But. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's in the vein of what I've been doing, but it's, it's something that if people are too full of themselves to look at Dallas as a as a market and I went down there and I was like so it was an opening market thing not a food I no I, I went to the market and I was like what is this market what can it use and it's nothing that I currently okay, have okay so it wasn't something that you would take there and bring back to Portland and no no introduce no no no, 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 no. It's, I'm going to go there do it and the, the people that I'm looking at doing it with they know how to do business right and instead of being like an accidental success like Little Big Burger or Blue Star, we didn't know it was going to become what it was, and we're running around trying to fix everything that was broke from the beginning, I'm like, okay, I'll just call the people that know how to build this from the beginning with the hopes that it's going to be big. And, you know, I did my little song and dance for the last couple months with them, developed my marketing campaign, the ads, the branding, the product, and I have it. I'm, I'm, the ink isn't dry yet, but it will be soon. And I'll be able to go down do what I do best, which is open it up, create it, get a little bit of buzz, and then back off and let someone else run it. I can't run restaurants. I'm not an effective manager. I'm not a people person. Uh, and I don't have that natural inclination to keep doing the same thing over and over. I have to create something else. So um, what is, how do you, what's the genesis of your ideas? Do you sit down and somewhere along the way someone mentions something and you say, no. hey, I can do that? Or do you actually, is it a strategy session? Let's build the next big thing. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It is like looking at trends. Now, I see, I've been talking about donuts for 10 years ever since I moved to this town. I wasted two hours of my life the first year I showed up here standing in Voodoo's line. A whole two hours. Yeah. Okay. And I was so, I became so mad. I, I had lost two hours of my life. Of all the mistakes I've made, spending nine months in prison, I would trade it for the two hours. <laughs> you know, and, and and so when you, what was the first donut you tried there, and what was your? I can't even remember. What came it was to so mind? Bad. I blocked it's, it out. Like it's right up there with like you know being beat as a kid. And then, so why is it so successful? <sighs> he 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 got in at the right time. He was ground level, and he jumped in, and he opened up crust from bars. And the same reason why, if you look at the landscape of donuts in America, the only ones that are successful, minus corporate America like Krispy Kreme and, and Dunkin'. Are these stupid college where dump stale cereal and penis-shaped donuts into people's mouths? They think it's cool. It becomes a, a niche. A donut is a staple. Every country in the world has a fried dough covered in sugar. We're the only ones that dump more sugar on top of sugar. And I'm like, here, stick this penis-shaped donut. Like my first advertising slogan. Is it the penis-shaped donut, by the way? It I was think one that's, of them. That's a big thing. One of my and the pink box. One of my slogans. My original slogan for Little Big Burger was going to be simple. It was going to be sorry, fresh out of penis-shaped donuts. <laughs> fresh out of you know, fresh out of stale cereal. You can cereal. still come back to it now. I can't. Katie, Katie keeps me in check. Well, what can't. we did was we came up and we we did our subtle donuts for grownups, and mm -hmm. that's what we did. We designed a donut for a grown up, and we took it from the strip malls of the outer lying cities, paid the high rent, and realized that the cupcake market for the last fifteen years had been priming people to spend three fifty per unit item for something special, and we did it. Nobody said like Kurt looked me in the face and he said, "You'll never sell three dollar fifty cent donuts." Like, Does it feel really good now to look him in the face and say, I sold $3.50 donuts? Uh, I sell millions of $3.50 donuts. I, I, I left that for you to say. You know, so, but um, we, uh, 
we've definitely got something there that's special because we're ahead of the bell curve. We created it. You know, that, that gourmet donut market didn't truly exist except for on fine dining menus. It was the same with the burger. When I decided to put a $14, $15 burger on Yakuza's menu and nobody besides Hurley was doing it, um, back then when I opened up Yakuza was I went to, you know, DB in New York and he had a $50 burger and I went to other restaurants. They have their $30 burgers and $20 burgers and they put the time and effort to create that burger and make it great. All food trends, cupcakes, before cupcake trend happened here, cupcakes were showing up on Daniel Balud's menu as like the new thing. All they were doing was taking staples and reimagining them and putting them back out. And people look to the east for for food inspiration. Mm-hmm. They do. It starts in the east and heads this way. You think they're looking west now? Oh, well, the New York Times gives a blowjob to Portland every week or every month in the paper mm-hmm. at some point. That's a good thing. And If anybody's going to give the blowjob, that's... Yeah, I think, I think they look this way for ethos, not innovation, because mm-hmm. we still have to go to Spain and New York and France for all these, like, technical relations, because they've been celebrating food for thousands of years. We've been celebrating it for 20. You know, so we have to go there for innovation, but for the ethos of, like, you know, using sustainable and using local and doing all these things and hiring small and not thinking big box... They look this direction for that, so it's it's a it's a combination of the two. Because I mean, you think about those big boys in New York, you know, Laverna Dan and all these other places are shrinking. They're not going big box anymore. Mm-hmm. They're going small box, and that was be that was that was definitely a West Coast thing. It was not an East Coast thing. You know, the Shape and East knew something back then because they they didn't grow. They just they said we're doing our thing. We're going to keep doing our thing. And and you know, back then, like Daniel Balud's restaurants were three hundred seaters. Now they're. I find it interesting that a kid from Gary, Indiana, is able to have a conversation about Daniel Balud's restaurants. I, I think you've come a long way. Yeah. Um, speaking of going a long way, you you've traveled a lot. Oh yeah. Where are your, some of your favorite food cities? Uh, Paris, France, um, Spain, Italy. Those are those are my favorite as far as like country wise goes. Um, New See, York. We, ha- we have ways for people to go. Anyway, we'll talk about that yeah. later. Um, uh, and what about Portland? Is there are there people doing some things that you're really impressed with in Portland? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, like Ox. I I've always wanted the steakhouse reimagined for Portland because I would always just go to Ringside, mm-hmm. and I wanted I wanted a few of those staples like those grilled vegetables and a couple of grilled steaks and some simplicity of some oysters and not have it be just this like small piece of steak with some elaborate presentation. You know, so I wanted the steakhouse reimagined, and it was kind of funny because Greg Denton didn't start with. The swan song for chefs is normally a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. They build their small restaurants until they're like, you know, I'm going to do a steakhouse and put them in every major economy. He just went straight to the steakhouse and said, fuck it. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to – the market needs it. And he did. You know, everybody thought that Laurelhurst Market was going to be that. It didn't. They, they got too creative. You know, Greg Denton's like, this is how you grill meat and this is the sauce you put on it and enjoy. Well, plus he's not actually – he's not as involved with meat as Laurelhurst is on the same – in the same right. way. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking is, about like there's, there's the mechanism of a restaurant and then there's the, the people behind it. And where I found uh, – see, I had fame. I had fame with Yakuza and Beast and DLC. I didn't have any fortune. There was no money behind it. I, I made no money at the end of the day. It was like Clark Lewis. That restaurant was packed. You'd think they were millionaires. They didn't make a fucking penny. Um, so the mechanism matters as much as – the people that are running it. It's like you can have a really great race car or a really great driver, but it's probably to have the best of both worlds to win that race. And I learned the mechanism from, you know, going around and seeing what successful restaurants do and they didn't get they didn't get the hype. But 
the and then you go and you're like jump into the private sector world and they're like they have all the glory and no fame. So I was like, fuck that. I don't. I've been poor my whole life. I would like a little bit of this. And then you and then you mix them. So yeah, like Laurelhurst Market, they jump in and they just have this romanticized idea and knowledge and expertise. And Greg's like, this is how you run a restaurant. It's the 80-20 rule. You can give them eighty percent of the. Product and he'd never for, run a restaurant before. Yeah, you can give them eighty percent of the the product for you know twenty percent of the effort. So, and and anyone else doing some anything like Little Big Burger that you respect out there, or you think has well a good salt shot? and straw, right? They you know Kim blew that out of the water. Her fifteen years at Starbucks, you know, taught her some good lessons with that whole mechanism. Mm-hmm. So she created that, and it's great. I see her lines down in L.A. as well. Um, Counter service wise, you know, quick service, all the ramen shops that popped up, you know, they, they have their their mechanisms that work well. Garden bar is blowing up like crazy. Is it? Uh, yeah, I think that I might gotta, be a little too aggressive. Got to spend more time there. Yeah, they're opening up time. They bought Son of a Biscuit off me, you know. Are they going to do something with it? Yeah, they they're turning it into their commissary, and they're going to they're planning on opening up quite a few locations. Oh, just the the space. Yeah. So not the idea, not the concept. Yeah. Uh, Lardo bunk, you know, stuff like that. They're they're doing well, um, but I I typically skew for, you know, restaurant restaurants. I I do what I do right. for a paycheck, but I actually like to sit down. So where do you like to sit down other than Ox? Uh, I love I love Lincoln. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, it's, that's another thing that just gets glazed over. But she's an amazing chef, always has been. Um, Rucker's, uh, I have my my routine. I go to Paley's for consistency, mm-hmm. just when I want to feel nice. You know, I have a reason to put a shirt with a service, collar on. The service there, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, Ox, once a week. Uh, when I gained a ton of weight from being miserable, I was like up to about two hundred and forty-five pounds. I started a mass diet, and I ate at 808 probably four times a week. Just grilled chicken and lettuce. So there's the good diet plan for Portlanders, yeah, 808? Yeah, go, go to 808. I got I to th- throw that into the mix. Yeah. So um, So do you think you're going to, um, you can retire and then get away from the food world? I Aren't hope you so. going to be tempted to, to do something great because you got time? I mean, I'm telling you, Thirty-nine, forty is young. You got to realize, like I, I don't have the typical thirty-nine, forty-year-old path. I, I don't. I've never done a drug in my life. I've never smoked weed. I've never done any kind of a drug. I, are I you lost a out. Drinker? On, no. I no alcohol at all. Or I, you just I've drank big... probably fifteen times in ten years. Wow, that's unusual for um, someone in the industry. No, it's so. when you my I've, half of my sisters were alcoholics. You know, is that you what dissuaded that. you? Yeah. Yeah, my father kind of dissuaded me from being uh, any more Drugs, than a really like social Indiana, drinker. You just, like, people like here, when you're raised in a nice household, you're like, oh, that's I can do this recreationally. But when you're doing that to escape the misery of being raised in Gary, Indiana, you just, you're walking over dead people in the streets, and it's like, you get a different viewpoint. Well, you had to decide that early on, though. I mean, yeah. the, a lot of people don't get, don't get to the point of deciding that. They right. just do it. But as far as, like, that trajectory goes, I, I'm tired. I really am. I'm like perpetually exhausted from working my ass off for the last 12 years. It's like, love me or hate me, I've, I've earned everything that I've gotten. And it So was, you think at 50 you're going to be able to just sit back and write and have a calm, easy life? You're used to going to get it and chasing it and chasing it. No, I'm still waiting on Princess Charming to show along and sweep me off my feet. You know, 
Okay. And that would be, and just spend time with her? Yeah. Like raise a family and stuff like that. Oh. So. Okay. Well, you, you heard it here on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, we, can put a, we can put a hashtag out there. I don't know. So what, what, what can don't. we do? I don't, think, I don't think Micah needs help. <laughs> no. I'm the one who needs uh. the help. So um, that is great. We appreciate you coming to talk about this. Anything else that you would like to get out there? Any, any events that you have? Mm, no. No, I'm, I'm starting to learn to keep my mouth shut certain points you know I've like I said it's like they can be damaging when you open up your mouth and you vent too many opinions because like Katie whenever I slander voodoo Katie has to go on the offensive with voodoo and be like it's okay sorry <laughs> one night hey this was this is this is funny as hell the Oregonian printed that thing in the paper it says move over voodoo there's a new donut king in town all I did was just text that to Trey you know and he texts me back fuck you and then Katie is Why sitting you next text to because I just felt like it <laughs> Do you have anything personally against no, him? Or yes, just because against he, has, he has a he, no. He has a platform. He has a platform that he could do so much with, but he's not. And what kind of things would you suggest he do? We could just stop ripping open bags. Like his donuts are, you know, donuts in a mix. There's just tons of crap in them. Like there's five ingredients in my donut, and they're all natural. And he's just dumping and mixing. It's, I just still it's those two hours. I'm telling you, it just psychologically scarred me. <laughs> For life, but you know, I think it's the it's, you're talking about the ethos that new, the Times looks to. It's the ethos that you that is ingrained into you and a lot of people in the food world here, mm-hmm. but all over the country. Let's forget about the world. Correct, people, people are eating food like that. They and are not thinking but if twice he's, about if it. He's the number one tourist attraction. Well, that has uh, I've that associated like he's leading our army. Into but, into that, but you know like, what? That there are people who the people who come and think that is the and I don't want to get involved, you know, in anything negative oh yeah. with voodoo. <laughs> um, but no, the people who come here are they're looking for the Disneyland of food, and that's their idea. And they have their ideas of true, the restaurants. True. I just talked to someone yesterday who, uh, dear woman, we went on a hike, and she lives in Oregon City. And she was asking what I did, and I told her about you know restaurants and yeah. chefs and what are those restaurants? And I said, well, I, if I start talking about it, you haven't heard of them, so it's uh, there's a certain ethos involved with these restaurants. She said, are you talking about Jake's and Portland City Grill? And I said, no, no not at all. Well, what are you talking about? She's lived in this area. She's not a tourist, right? But she's lived in this area. That those were her ideas of the the. The Portland food scene where Jake's right, and Portland right, right, City right, right. Grill. So the people who come here from out of town, that also, I had an experience. One of the reasons I'm doing what I do now, when I, before I moved to Portland, I stayed at the Fifth Avenue Suites and I asked the concierge. I've told this story on the podcast before, Court, so you can stop me at any time. But I, I don't remember it. So Okay. And I asked the concierge where to go. And he said, Jake's and Ruth's Chris. Right, I didn't know anything. So, right. like, okay, and the mothers. He mentioned mothers. Well, that sounded oh, different because I knew. Um, so, um, but then when I moved here, and he told me, "Don't go on the other side of the river. You'll just get lost, and it's dangerous." Literally said that. That was two thousand four. Yeah, or two. Yes, two thousand four. And then when I moved here, I found out there's this whole world over there. Clark Lewis, two thousand four, amazing restaurant. Yeah, it's but I was told it. not to go over there, and uh, there wasn't a lot in two thousand four as much, right? Right. But still. That was what the hotels were putting out there as the food scene. We'd go to Jake's. You'll love Jake's. That's Portland. Yeah. And so what I've learned over time is there's this, there are these different tiers yeah. of what people understand. It's so, true. So you, you are embodying, and you have, with Yakuza and Beast, D 
DOC, those beautiful restaurants with beautiful food that take the time to think. And so that's, that's ingrained in your bloodstream. Yeah. But it's not necessarily, never was at Voodoo. How old is, how long has Voodoo been around? Uh, too long. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll end on that note. Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll go get a donut and we'll make it Blue Star. Yeah. I should have brought some, but I was like. Yeah, you should have actually. I was rushing here from another appointment. Well, I'll but. tell you what. Let's make a deal. When we don't have, you don't have to make a deal. You're, you're going to beat the shit out of me on a deal anyway, right? You're a better deal maker than either Court or I am. But come back on the podcast and bring donuts and or whatever your Dallas thing, thing is, thing, yeah. the new thing. I have to. I have that. Once that ink dries, I it'll it'll become known. Okay. When's that ink drying? Hopefully within a week or two weeks. I'm flying down to L.A. this weekend to go meet with a couple billionaires, and then I'm flying to Miami to go meet with the opposing billionaires, and then... Okay. Yeah. We could hold off on this podcast to do the little addendum. Eh, don't, worry, so. don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, I know you're not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have it. But thanks. For, we'd love to have... We're, it was great to have you come in, and uh, I'm nice to finally meet you. We've just had a couple of phone conversations over the years, so... Yeah. Good deal. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right